Welcome back to episode number 111 of The NP Dude. This is Jeff The NP Dude, giving nurse practitioners a voice. Everyone's voice out there that's listening, I want to hear from you. I want to know what's bugging you, because if it's bugging you, it's got to be bugging me, and it better be bugging everybody else. So email me, jeff at thenpdude.com. You can catch me on Facebook. You can always get me there and send me a PM as well. You can get me personally, too. I don't care how you get me. Just as long as you guys are getting to me. And I got a good one today I want to talk about and just kind of outline how I sometimes will just handle topics and issues and conflict and how I kind of come up with, you know, my 30,000 foot view on issues. And um, it might, maybe it'll be helpful. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, we're at 1937, I think, likes on Facebook. 30 something. It was a decent jump. So we're close. We're less than 100. We're like uh, 60 some away from getting that 2000 mark. And it is only November 29th. So we still have a whole month for me to be my goal. So I might say let's shoot for uh, 2200 for the end of the year. So let's do that, guys. So you guys are the ones that are making this happen. Oh, somebody's dragging something and it's sparking like crazy. <laughs> the trailer is like on fire. Whoops. Yep, it's not me. Um, but it's you guys. You guys are the ones that are doing this. You guys are the ones that are making this happen and making this... Um, spreading the word and getting getting it out there that there's this wacky guy driving 100 miles an hour. No, I'm not going 100 miles an hour. I'm going pretty close, but not 100. And um, talking about things that are affecting us in, um, in practice and in just the legalities of things and all that good stuff. And I've talked about my background in the past. If you're new to the show and you don't know who I am and somebody says, hey, go listen to this guy and this is the first episode, go back and listen to 001. Very first show, you'll get my background. It's a pretty short show. It just kind of gives you the reasoning of why I did this podcast and it gives some background of who I am and all that good stuff. I'm not going to do it right now. Every now and then I do go into a who's Jeff and, and just give some background. But what you hear in the background, guys, if you're a new listener, it's my car. I'm driving. That's how I do this show. I do it when I'm in my car because it's the only time I got to do this show. So there's no fancy background music. There's no fancy nothing. It's just me talking into a, my phone and uh, giving some of my advice on things and uh, talking about issues that I want answers to and things like that too. So stuff that's bugging us. Support the show, guys. Guys, guys are doing a great job. Yesterday was flat on the uh, Amazon affiliate link. It was great Cyber Monday. Everything was like, wow, holy crap, you guys are really helping out. I appreciate it. And then Cyber Tuesday, no, it's not Cyber Tuesday, but Tuesday hit, nothing, nothing, nothing yesterday. So I need your help, guys. If you want to help pay for the show, the best way to do it is to use the Amazon affiliate link. Here's what it does. It gives me a small percentage of your purchase, but it doesn't cost you anything. It comes out of Amazon's pockets. So go to Amazon off of my website. you got to go to thenpdude.com, click on the banner, go right to the Amazon for, through my banner on my website, and what it'll do is it'll allow you to do the shopping you otherwise would have done, and it gets me that percentage. It's really a great way to do it. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't cost me anything. It just costs Amazon something, and uh, you know it's kind of a win-win-win. They get, the, they get the profits from you buying crap, and I get a little commission off of helping them get, get you there. The other way you can do it is use the donate button. Again, it's there. It's not something I really anticipate a lot of people using, but if you think this show is worth a buck, I'll take it. Go ahead and click the um, the uh, donate button. It takes you through PayPal, so be aware that you have to have a PayPal account established, ready to go. And uh, you can do a, a monthly donation if you want. If you think it's worth worth a buck a month, I'll take it. If you think it's worth twenty bucks, I'll take that too. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. I'll take it. 
The other way you can help support the show is um, if you're in Ohio, I do contract review services for people. I am a licensed attorney in Ohio. I still have an active license, and I do a lot of contract review for people. I've been picking up a lot of side work doing that, and um, <clears throat> what I typically do, and I'll give you the rundown of what my, my services look like because I'm kind of in a pattern now how I'm doing it. What I do is I take your contract, whether it's a new contract you're trying to enter into and it's not agreed to yet, or it's an old contract and you want to get out of it, or you just want to know what you've got in terms of, of uh, obligations and what your uh, requirements are per your agreement. I read the contract, I mark it up physically, I scan it, I send it back to you, and then I call you, we talk for about an hour, go through every single comment that I have. My goal is to teach you what to look for in your next agreement. That's the goal. I really want to work myself out of a job because I'm never going to work myself out of a job. The reason being is that there's so many people in Ohio that are doing contracts. There's new people every year. I have, there's, there's zero potential for me to handle all the contracts. So even if I educate every person that comes to me to not need me again, there's still going to be a plenty, plenty more people that need me. So I'm not worried about that. So I'd rather have you guys be smart smart uh, contractors and uh, learn how to negotiate and learn the skills that I use. I give a lot of advice on how to manipulate the contract so that you can maybe get something else that's more important to you and give up something else. And so that's a good example of how I can help you do it. My fees are very modest. I'm not going to give it out over my podcast, but they're extremely reasonable, like a third of what you would pay if you went to a big firm in town. And they do not have a nurse practitioner slash JD licensed attorney on staff. I can almost guarantee it. There's only a handful of us in the country. So if you are in Ohio, you want me to do that, you want me to look at your contract, I'd be more than happy to do that. Email me, jeff at thenpdude.com or send me a Facebook note and say you're interested in that and I'll tell you how to get that. We can get that done. The um, chronic contractable shirts are ordered. They are completely ordered, ready to go. First run's ordered. They, the, the pictures look very similar to what I had, guys. The, the, those of you that I sent out the pictures of my pre-markup type of um, picture of what it looks like. So it's very, very similar to that. And I'm really excited about it. I'm going to be selling them for uh, 25 bucks. I did commit to that and I, I'm going to stick with that unless it's a larger, if, you know, double X or whatever. It's like two bucks more. So whatever. I'm not going to make any real money off this. It's, it's um, really just a matter of having some fun and having some chronic contractable shirts out there. New listeners, if you don't know what a chronic contractable is, it's a fan of my show. That's what it is. It's a term of endearment that I use for uh, people that are always there with me and never seem to go away. And they just kind of you know help promote the show and are doing a great job telling others about what we're doing here and uh, give me good show ideas and con- you're just constantly there, always supportive and, and uh really helpful for the profession and uh, just just great people out there. So I appreciate you guys. You chronic intractables. Love you guys. Fantastic. Topic of the show today. What are we going to talk about? I got um, I got one email and it was um, I'm not going to give too much information about the background of this person because I don't like doing that. So new people I've got a ton of new people. I got like 50, 60 people in the last day and a half that are all new listeners. So you new listeners out there, I do not use your name unless you tell me you that I can. I never do that. I'm not going to get you in trouble. And I will not give out a hypothetical that is so close to what you tell me that it will get you in trouble. And so you can, you know, if anybody says that I've done that, you can email me and say, you know, you got me in trouble. I'd love to hear about it because I, there's never enough information from what I say to get anybody busted. So if there's somebody that's bugging you in your office, I'm not going to 
I'm not going to spell the exact situation and get you in trouble if somebody happens to listen to the show. I would like to believe that I'm that, that good at this and that people all over the world are listening to this show, but in reality, they're not. So the likelihood of that happening anyways is low. But that being said, I've got one that came in through email just yesterday. And it was uh, NP is working in an office where they have a standard care arrangement. So in Ohio, it's a standard care arrangement. So I'm giving out a little bit. So it must be an Ohio person. I don't know. They didn't tell me where they were from. And I didn't read enough in their information to find that. So I really don't care if it's in Ohio or not. The particular circumstance is this. The standard care arrangement says that they are not allowed to see a patient younger than a certain age. I'm going to say it's three years old. It's not three years old. So you that that's listening out there, you know what you know who you are already because you emailed me and you kind of know where this is going. The other thing is is that they've got the standard care arrangement. It's never been updated. It's kind of old contract. It's just been sitting out there, still valid contract, but it's old wording and it still says three years old. But your practice is now advertising that you're going to see kids that are two years old and older. So it's a clear. difference, deviation from what your standard care arrangement is. And then the question down at the bottom, and this is in the email, and they said, should I whistleblow? And my answer is, who are you going to whistleblow to? I, I don't I don't know where that's going. I mean, wh- who would you call? The only person that I can imagine you could call would be the Board of Nursing. Do not call the Board of Nursing. They're the cops. Would you call the cops on yourself? <laughs> just, why, why would you do that? Don't. It's just going to invite problems. The, the bigger issue here is that, that I see happen enough that it's worth bearing discussion is that people are very confused about standard care arrangements in your employment contract to totally different pieces of paper. A standard care arrangement or a collaborative agreement, depending on which states you're in, is an agreement between you and a physician that says if you have questions or need help or whatever the statutory requirements are in your state for your collaborative agreement that those things are in that document and that you know if something goes wrong then you've got someone to call or fall back on or if the patient wants to see somebody that's a physician then you've got a resource for that to happen there's a whole bunch of very specific things by state for that but it's really just a contract between you and an individual that they're going to assist you in your practice as a nurse practitioner that's it that's where this contract, that three-year limit was originally marked. But now you've got an employer who has nothing to do with your standard care arrangement. Your, your employer may or may not be the person that signed your standard care arrangement or your collaborative agreement, right, depending on where you are. Here's the hypothetical. So let's say here's a sub-hypothetical. I hate doing hypotheticals within a hypothetical, but we're going to do it anyways. Say you have a physician that owns the practice. They have a collaborative agreement with you as the physician that's going to be your collaborative physician, and they also have an employment contract with you as the, as the employer. Then yes, they're the same person, but it's still two separate documents. Under the hypothetical that was given to me, because we talk in hypotheticals on this, on this show, the hypothetical was that it's an office. It's a bigger practice than that. It's not the collaborative being the same person as who is your employer. Two totally different people signed those documents. So the, the, the problem we have here is two competing contracts and you need to tighten them up. So if your collaborative agreement 
says that you see patients three and up, then your scope of practice is dictated, in Ohio at least, by what is in your collaborative agreement. So if you have an 18-month-old patient comes in walking through the door, or a nine-month-old patient, you're screwed. You're not going to see them. You can't see them because it's outside of your scope of practice by contract. Now, could you change that contract? Yeah, you absolutely could. I don't know if you'd whistleblow. Why would you want to do that? I would say, why wouldn't you just go to the employer and say, look, I need to redo my collaborative agreement. Where's my collaborative physician? Let's track him down. He's in the practice somewhere. Let's find that individual. And then from there, we will go ahead and modify and rewrite the collaborative agreement with a new date. Kill the old deal, start a new one, and then fix the age of the person so that you're not in violation of the scope of practice. So long as you're allowed to see that age anyways. So if you're a acute, acute care NP or a Jero NP, you're not seeing, you know, eight months old patients. That's just, that's way outside your scope, regardless of what your, your SCA says, your standard care arrangement says. So you need to look at that too. So if you're FNP, you're trained, you can see birth to death. You're, you're good on that front. It's probably not the issue. The issue is bigger of finding out whoa, why don't you just change the agreement? I don't know why it's not a big deal. Unless you hate your job and you want out of the agreement, out of, out of working there, that might be a different issue. And that's if that's the case, if you're in Ohio, email me, I'll read your contract and we'll see if we can get you out of this thing. Um, but I don't think that's what the case is. I don't. It doesn't sound like you were willing to leave. I think you were just frustrated that your employer is trying to mandate that you do something outside of your scope of practice. And the question is, is that who are you going to call? The Board of Nursing doesn't care. They have nothing to do with your contract. They're not enforcing some practice, you know, trying to take advantage of you to work outside of your scope of practice. It's your responsibility as a nurse practitioner everywhere in the country to ensure that you are working within your scope of practice, period. No one else's responsibility. So when the, when you're confronted with an issue that's clearly outside of your scope of practice, you got to put your foot down. And say, look, I am not comfortable with that. You need to either see the collaborative physician because that's outside of my scope of practice, or you shut it down and say, look, you can you can fire me if you want, but I'm not going to lose my license over this because you can sue me for a con- breach of contract, but at least I won't lose my license because if I lose my license, I'm not working here anyways, and you can still sue me. So I I I, I don't know where we're going with that. You know, the, the whistleblower thing was a little like, really? That wouldn't go right to there. I wouldn't have thought of that. I would have just been like, let's just fix the collaborative. Unless you really don't want to work with younger kids. I mean, maybe you just don't feel comfortable working with, you know, a two-year-old instead of a three-year-old or, a, you know, a, a one-year-old instead of a two-year-old, whatever it is, right? If you don't feel comfortable with that, then maybe that's not the right employment for you because it sounds like that position is modifying. It's changing. So you're kind of screwed on that front. Doesn't sound like they're turning back on that one. And my bet is that the the um, employer just doesn't understand what your scope of practice really means for you. The good thing I saw about this email to me was that th- this individual recognized that there was a scope of practice issue. And that's fantastic that you recognize. Wait a second, I can't do that because my scope of practice says this, but my you know my employer wants me to do that, and those are two competing things fantastic for you for recognizing. A lot of people wouldn't have said, eh, it's not that big a deal. Well, it could be. If something happens to a younger kid than what's in your collaborative agreement, you get sued. Guess who's losing their license? Because you are acting outside of your scope of practice. And once you are acting outside of your scope of practice, what do you think a lawyer is going to do to you as far as as being a defendant? They're going to shred you. I, I just hear the, 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 the line of questioning right now. 
Gee, Mr. Powers, I, I couldn't help but notice that you're really great at treating three-year-olds. But it's outside of your scope to treat two-year-olds. Did you? Were you aware that it was outside of your... Yeah, I knew it was in my contract. Well, so does that mean that you always break the law? <laughs> do you always violate the rules of your board? Or do you just sometimes do it? There's no good answer there, <laughs> by the way. I never break... Well, you obviously did because you were outside of the scope. So it's your responsibility as, as an NP to ensure that your... This is your license. This is the frustrating part that I see with, with NPs. They think that your employer is going to protect your... Nobody's going to protect your license but you. It needs to be treated like your most valuable possession that you own. Whatever that is. Think of the most valuable thing in your life. Could be the family Bible. Could be the you know that heirloom that came from great-great-grandma. Or you know the, the, the relationship with your spouse. I don't care what the most valuable thing to you is. The next valuable thing is your license. It has to be. Because they, no one else cares about it but you. Because somebody else will fill your spot if you lose it. Trust me. No one cares. And the board certainly doesn't care. So I'd love to hear who you would try to whistleblow to. Because I can't think of anybody. I've, I've racked my brain for the last day thinking, well, what, what, who could I call? What would I do? There's no one that you could call. No one. There's no whistleblower there. There's no violation of a law other than you violating the law. Just because they say you have to see 12-year-old or four-year-old or two-year-old or eight-year-olds or whatever the difference is from what your standard care arrangement is, them mandating that doesn't mean that you have to do that. You can always say no. You have to say no until you get that squared away. All right. Does that make sense? So the big picture here is you got to make sure that you understand the concepts between your standard care arrangement is being between one individual and you who happens to be a physician and you. And then your contract, your employment contract. And if they can, this is why when, when I do contract reviews, I ask people for their standard care arrangement because I correlate them together to make sure that those things don't happen when I do my reviews. And I've seen them different. I've seen people put in the standard care arrangement, like non-compete language. I've seen things like inside. Nope, strike that. That doesn't belong in there. This is just the statutory contract between you and a, and a physician it says that they'll help you if you need the help and that they're going to review some contracts and then whatever it is in your state that's mandatory and there's different things so you have to keep in mind that it's different with each state what's next all right i was going to talk about another one what was it i was thinking about it this morning i'm on my way home and it's in the dark swervy back roads christmas lights Woo. so we got christmas lights going yay um What was I going to do? I don't know. I can't think of it. It was a good topic, too. I'll think of it. Hold on a second. Let me think. I'm playing with my phone. Swervy Road. Hold on. Yeah, I remember what it was. I was going to talk about it. Every now and then, I'll say the word quasi-contract. And um, I think it's important to note. And, and I think it's just interesting. So I'm going to talk about it. Morley. More, Morley? Morley? Yeah, I guess you can tell I'm tired. I saw a ton of patients today. More because I just find it interesting and I think it's educational. It may not have a huge amount of value for you guys, but I think it's neat. And, um, you know, anytime you can learn something new, maybe it's beneficial to you guys. So if you guys aren't interested, I don't care. You can turn off, but I'm going to talk about it anyways. And it's a contract-related issue because I think it's, um, yeah, it, it, it is important. There's some value here, so we'll talk about it anyways. The idea of quasi-contract, and every now and then you'll hear me slip and say quasi-contract, but 
quasi-contract is an actual legal term. It's actually a legal, um, a legal construct. In that, whenever you have a situation with a contract, where the contract doesn't meet the specific criteria to be deemed a legal binding contract, a legal document doesn't doesn't work. The um, you can't sue for a breach of, of any of the provisions in that contract then, because if it wasn't executed properly or it wasn't um, you know statute of frauds is one thing, like it has to be written down for like you know any any major um, contracts have to be written, they can't be verbal, that kind of stuff. And I'm not going to get into statute of frauds. That's a really in depth, crazy crazy rules, and I'm not going to do that to you guys, it's just mean, <laughs> it's punish you guys with in-depth, complex legal theory of statute of frauds, but the idea is that if you don't have a contract that's truly enforceable, that there are still some remedies at law, and and I, I say at law in air quotes, because it's really at equity. And it, it goes way back to like the, the ancient, uh, well, ancient, but you know, old English common law from the you know kings and queens and knights and all that stuff. And it, this is the neat part for me. And I always thought it was interesting when when we would hear this stuff in law school because the professors would kind of do like a background history on it. It was just neat. It was just really cool. And it would be awesome to go back in time, back to, you know, the 14, 15, 1600s after the Magna Carta was written and, 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 um, all these common laws were being developed and be a fly on the wall in some of these courts when there was, you know, these original laws were, were created. I just think it would be neat. But the way that it worked in old English common law was that there was two court systems, there was the king's court and the queen's court. So you can imagine the king's court was more rigid. It was more um, the law of fact. And, you know, so the contracts that were real true contracts, the king would make up these these rulings and things like that based upon that type of stuff. It's not just contracts. It's all areas of law, you know, property and things like that, too. So it's not just contracts, but it tends to be more in the contract world. It's the best analogies for it. But the queen's court was different. The Queen's Court was all about fairness. It was softer. It wasn't that hard-nosed, here, this is right, that's wrong. It's more, what's the, you know, what, what should we do as just good human beings and moral, you know, upbringing and things like that. At least that's how they taught it in law school. In reality, I think that they were probably just as good as the people that were actually making the laws. So you probably had some good kings and good queens that were fair and just. And you probably had some real shitheads that just did some pretty oppressive stuff and took care of their friends. So a lot of the rules were probably not <laughs> developed around, you know, fairness and, you know, all that good stuff. But the king's court was this hard-nosed thing, and that would be like true contract issues. There's a, there's a point to this in a second. I'll, I'll kind of bring it back around. And then the queen's court was a little bit different in that it was all about fairness. So if you didn't meet one of the criteria of the king's court, you would go see the queen and say, Queen, you know, this is just unfair we, you know, this I got screwed because you know this other person was shady, and even though I did everything right and they did everything right, it should just be fair to to make this make this judgment in one way or the other. Well, those things have kind of carried over even today into court systems through common law, and some statutes have picked them up too. They kind of take the common law and put it in codification. They they put it in statutes, but for the most part, this is all common law stuff. So every jurisdiction is different when you talk common law, but most of them have the same themes. So you have the king's court, 
in the Queen's Court. Well, we don't have two sets of court systems in America, but what we do instead is we have two ways that you file your complaint and a complaint or your counter complaint. A complaint is the original document that kicks off the lawsuit. So when you file a complaint, what you're doing is you're sending a document to the court and you're notif- giving notice to the other party that you're suing and you make a bunch of allegations and you allege you know, bullet items of one through as many allegations as you have about what the facts are in the case, what the problems were, what happened and damages and your alleged breach of whatever law it is. What, what did they do wrong? And you allege what doctrine of law that you're trying to find equity in or fairness or what kind of or, or a remedy in. So if somebody breaches a provision of a contract, you would say, look, I, I have a contract executed on this date and it was between these two parties and you have all these facts all laid out. And on this date, they did this. And on that date, they did a different thing. And then they did this, which is a clear violation of the contract. And then this, you know, because of that, we had damages of X amount and all that good stuff. But what you do is that would be like the King's Court complaint. But then you do the the quasi-contract claim would be the Queen's Court. It's about fairness. So the reason it's important, to me at least, is to keep that in mind, is that even though you have a crappy contract that maybe wasn't executed properly, or it's not enforceable, or something's wrong with it, so like completely structurally just defect of this document, you can still fall back on a quasi-contract claim. Now, quasi means as if it's real, so it's an, as if it's a real contract. And it's a legal construct. It's a, it's a fallacy. It's completely made up. So the court says it's not a real contract, but because we think it should be a real contract, and it, out of fairness, we're going to say it is a real contract. Now, you never get... It's not a good claim. Don't get me wrong. It's not what you lead off with. You always start with you know breach of some provision of the contract, and you follow up with a secondary claim of breach of or a uh, quasi-contract violation. So quasi-contract, the, the, the thresholds that you're basically looking for is, and, and I'm going back 15 years, I, mean, I haven't thought about these in a long time, guys, so this is just more me thinking about stuff and kind of going through it and trying to remember all these different stuff, different ideas. But quasi-contract is, um, you have to have two parties, one party has to, and, and if you're out there, legal people listening, see if I'm right, email me, remind me if I'm right, I'm not looking it up. One person had to confer a benefit to the other party, and that party conferring the benefit had to have reasonably expected to be paid for that benefit. So it's almost like consideration in a contract, but it's really not. So here would be the example that I would use for all of this. Let's do a hypothetical. I'm an NP, I go and meet with my potential employer, we get a contract, we work out our deal, everything's happy, they're happy, I'm happy, we've got a start date set, everything looks wonderful, everybody's just, you know, it's those glowing wonderful times before the shit hits the fan, but everybody's happy. I sign the agreement, I email it to the other party, the other party says they signed it, they didn't send it back to me, I haven't seen it back, I start working, everything's great, I get credentialed, start working, everything's wonderful, everything's fantastic. Six months later, employer who allegedly had signed the document didn't sign it. They realized this, and the secretary says, oh shit, I, I, we meant to sign that. So she forges the signature of 
the director of the office or whoever the, the person that I'm contracting with. This didn't happen to me. I'm just alleging this. You know, this is nothing happened to me. I'm just doing a hypothetical. So nobody yell at me. <laughs> the employer out there listening, this isn't this isn't you. We know this isn't you. So they signed, the secretary signs it. But the secretary didn't have authorization to forge that signature. So not only is it fraud, we're not going to talk about the fraud. We're going to put that on a table and forget about it. But they signed and forged the signature of the employer. And so it looks on face like, I got a contract. It looks like a signature. I don't know this person's signature. It's just as good as any other signature. But the employer looks at it later, six months later, and sees this forged document sitting there on their desk and says, oh, crap, I found his contract. I forgot about this thing. And they thought they had signed it, and they didn't sign it. But then they look at the signature, and he says to the secretary, hey, did you sign this? She goes, yeah, I signed it. Well, I, I didn't sign this. This is your signature. I know your signature of my signature, you know, because you do it for Christmas cards and other crap that's not important, and the secretary signs it all the time, right? Well, the problem is, is that that contract wasn't truly... It's not enforceable, because it wasn't entered into properly. It's still an actual... Um, offer. So if that if that director didn't sign it underneath the other signature or re-execute that document, it's not it's not enforceable. It's debatable whether it's enforceable. That's a, that's a fight in court right there in and of itself. Well, say the employer says, you know what? Aha! I got him. I want to I want to decrease Jeff's pay. Jeff's making way too much money. He negotiated really good, and I don't want to pay him that much. I want to make more off of him. And he's seeing a ton of patients, then no problems. I just don't want to pay him that much. So he cuts my salary by 10%, whatever. Or kills a bonus or something like that. But it's a detriment to me. And then I go in to the employer the next day and say, what the hell, my paycheck was 10% less. Why? What the hell's going on? Oh, remember that contract that I was supposed to sign? Yeah, I never signed it. So we never had an actual agreement. And I said, well, that's bullshit. I'm, you know, I'm working under this, making you a ton of money. Why am I, why am I getting, getting screwed? So it falls apart after that. I walk out, give my notice, whatever I, I, you know, since there's no contract, I don't need to give notice. I can walk out that day. I wouldn't do that, but you could. So you, you, you leave as an employee, but they owe you, you know, 10% of your pay for a couple, you know, a month or two. So it's a decent chunk of change and you sue them and say, look, you breached contract. You breach the, the payment provision of the contract. It's not breach of contract. It's be, breach of the provision of the contract. And I say that all the time. It's not breach of contract, guys. Use the right words. It's breach of a provision specific in the contract. So let's say I sue them for that. My second claim would be in case the court says that there is no enforceable agreement, then I'm going to use quasi-contract, which is out of the old Queen's Court of Fairness, as a fallback, because I conferred a benefit. I gave my hours. I worked my butt off. I made him a ton of money. And I reasonably expected, because of a written document that was improperly executed on their behalf, and I had worked on good faith that it was executed properly. Whether I should have gotten a copy of it or not, it's probably a good call. I should have done that. But in reality, so what if you don't have an agreement? Whatever, you can leave sooner. I don't know. That's a choice up to you, right? But they can drop your pay if you're an at-will employee at that point because that's the way they're viewing you. So you, you walk away with this and, and you sue them for this quasi-contract as a backup. And you might win on that one. You might get some money. 
but the question is, is you know, it's, it's kind of like a slap on the wrist. So you're never going to get fully made whole with a quasi-contract claim. It just never works that way. You always end up getting, you know, 80% or 70% or 50% of what you really should have gotten. Because we want, as a, as a policy reason, people to do good contracts and execute them well instead of being shady. Both sides. So as, as a plaintiff, I'm going to be slightly punished, even though it's not punishment, by not giving me full pay of that because I should have known better as a professional. I should have done a better job with my contracts, not be so lazy or lackadaisical about it. So that's that's where quasi-contract comes in. And, and it's not something that's going to come up every day, and it's not something that's going to come up in most conversations, but it's important to know that at least it exists so that if you do see somewhere out there, someone says, geez, your contract's no longer valid, or they disintegrate the contract because they have authority in that contract to do so, then if something goes away, you could always try a quasi-contract. If the price is big enough and it's worth getting a lawyer, you can always sue them. you still got to fall back. It's not a great one, but it's still there. So I thought that was a fun one to talk about. I don't know if you guys got anything out of that. If you guys thought it, thought it was interesting, please let me know. Um, if you guys want to hear more just generalized legal theories of things, send them to me. I'll talk about different stuff. If you want just, you know, general stuff, I'll talk about it every now and then. Um, this one ties into NPs. I don't know if I want to do non-NP stuff. And I can. If somebody's got a real issue, I'll, I'll talk about it. But um, I don't know. It's just something to think about. It's a nice mental exercise while I'm cruising down the back roads, man. Try not to hit deers keep saying deers. I love me some deers. Um, you guys out there, I want to hear from you. I want to know what problems you guys got. You guys are doing a great job spreading the word on the uh, Facebook. iTunes, I haven't seen any new ratings recently. So if you're on iTunes and you're listening on iTunes, please do consider giving me a rating. And uh, if it's a bad one, just tell me why. I don't care. If you give me a one, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly cool with it. I've got no delusions of grandeur doing this podcast. I'm average at best. I really mean it. So if you give me a three, I'm cool with it. But if there's room for improvement, I want to hear why. I want you to tell me what the reasoning is. And uh, maybe I can fix it. Maybe I can't. I don't know. The uh, The other thing is uh, keep using that Amazon affiliate link, guys. That is really important to keep this thing going. I've, um, I'm about maybe halfway for the year. And I have my next web hosting because I started this thing in February. It's coming up into January. So I'm going to have to be paying again. And I'm starting to chew up more and more data because I'm giving you guys a ton of free content. If you use the website, my website, click on the Amazon link, go right and do your shopping, help me out, help the show, and uh, let's keep it going. Those of you that want chronic contract, I've got a list, going list of chronic contractable shirts. The first run people, I've got your shirts already ordered and uh, I'm supposed to have them next week. And so hopefully I'll have them out to you in like two weeks. You guys will have them sitting in, sitting in your uh, laundry basket ready to wear. Can't wait to get them. It's so fun. So if you guys want a chronic intractable shirt, let me know. Email me. It's going to be 25 bucks. I'll send you a link on how you can pay for it. And uh, there may be a little bit of a leap of faith to do it. And, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm an honest guy. I'm not going anywhere. You guys can trash me on Facebook. You can trash me anywhere. If I'm going to steal your money and run away with it, there's plenty of outlets that you can make me look like a total D. And so I'm not going to do that. So if you send me the money, you're going to get a shirt. I promise you. It might take a couple weeks, but I will get you one. I promise. So email me, jeff at the mpdude.com. I'll get you a shirt if you want one. You guys out there, be safe. Be smart. Have fun. Teach your patience. Be good advocates for what we do. I want you guys teaching everybody you know about what nurse practitioners do and that we're just as uh, competent and just as proficient and our outcomes are just as good as, as physicians out there. There's no reason you guys can't talk about that and tell your patients. Everybody should know what we do. 
So keep being being uh, good advocates for what we do. And you guys have just a great week. We'll talk soon.